You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another show. This is, what is this now, the 25th of June 2023 and it is way too hot for human consumption. I mean, oh my word, the UK is just ridiculous when it comes to heat because we don't have AC on demand like a lot of you lot do. So we're kind of forced to make do and I live in a new build house which generates a lot of heat in itself. Well, not generates, it retains all the heat. So you end up in a situation where you know, the heat stays in from the sun and then you can't get rid of the damn thing. No matter how much I open my attic loft or open all my windows and everything, it's still a nightmare. I close my curtains to shut out the sunlight. On some days it's not too bad. I do have an air cooler. However, for the purposes of a podcast and a recording, I have to close most of my windows and turn off the air cooler. So this is liable to be one of those shows where I just heat up as time goes by. But hopefully it won't be too long an episode this time anyway. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, health is generally fine. I used to get uh, the frequent headaches, as I mentioned before. Those seem to have died down a lot, despite it being the summer. Um, I went to my GP, and she gave me a bunch of double-strength like antihistamines, and they seem to be doing the trick. We kind of deduced that my like headaches and that were all to do with sinus related things so they always happened about here in the middle of my forehead and as a result it just basically meant that they were quite frequent but then I think there was also an element of staring at uh, PC screens too much because I do work as an accountant and I play video games and I do blog recording and editing I'm staring at a PC screen or a mobile phone quite often and so the the tr- problem with that is obviously your eyes strain and mine struggle to focus um, after doing that for so long. Hence my vision blurred a little bit when I was tired after work. So these glasses are only for you know computer use and concentration. But I think that combined with the tablets has meant that the headaches have kind of dissipated. I can only think that I've had one headache. And even then, I think it was mild. It went away pretty quickly. And I think the only other one I can remember was self-induced anyway, because I think I had a couple of glasses of wine and didn't drink enough water the night before. So it's, you know, that was probably just hangover related. So yeah, I mean, generally, the health is a bit better, although the throat is fine. It's a lot better than it was, but I still find these days that I struggle to speak for too long without needing a drink in hand in case my throat dries out. So I do have to be a little bit careful. I think this whole throat thing is just something I have to contend with for a while, at least during the summer months. I mean, next year it will be hopefully better because what I'll do next year is obviously I'll get these double strength antihistamines and take them in March when you're supposed to take them. I thought you didn't have to do it until the summertime. Apparently you're supposed to take antihistamines and hay fever allergens and stuff back in March to get your body used to it before the pollen starts hitting. So next year I'll be a little bit more prepared. So we'll just play it by ear. And hopefully there's not too much noise from outside because I have left that window open because I do need to get some means of cooling in here, otherwise I am going to die. But, you know, we'll see if I end up hearing anybody's power tools and stuff. So, yeah, if we 
look at the channel. The channel's not doing too bad. 20,202 subscribers as of this moment. And you might have noticed there's a lot of content coming out, although views are a little bit down from usual. But then that's kind of the way. Reviews don't tend to get a lot of views compared to the sort of ad hoc content on the channel. But I got a lot of stuff to cover from pre and post UK Games Expo. I mean, what have I done in the last, like, you know, in June alone, you know, we've got like the uh, what I played in May, we had the Games Expo roundup, we've had and then I've done quick draw reviews for Moon, uh, Planet Unknown, uh, Mindbug, Isle of Trains, and even a crowd surfing episode. And that's just for now. I have got two Keep or Cull episodes recorded, you know, the Keep or Cull series that I was doing recently. So, you know, don't worry, I haven't forgotten that series. I've done two more episodes for that. So hopefully those will be edited very soon. I I have The Rich and The Good, uh, which is from Ares Games, quick draw review, ready to go out, so I'll probably air that tomorrow, you know, it's ready, so I don't want to put two videos out on the same day, so I'll probably air that one tomorrow, but then I've also got to record a bunch of other stuff, I mean, I have got so many games to review, it's unreal, you know, I've got to do a review for Tawanaku, which is definitely going to happen very soon, um, I need to do Marvel Dagger, more on that in, uh, in shortly, but I've also got a bunch of small games like Zuli and Detroit Detroit Noir, I'm trying to pronounce it right, uh, Orium, um, I think it's called Orum from Pandasaurus Games, uh, The Number, Champions, both from Repos Production. And I think what I'm going to do with those five is I've got to make a choice. I've, got to do some, I've either got to really rapid fire those quick draw reviews, because they are small games, they won't take me very long to talk about, or I've just got to do a compilation with all five in. Because otherwise I will never get round to the stuff that really needs reviewing, which is stuff like, as I mentioned, Marvel Dagger, which I hope to get a review out very soon. Because annoyingly, as much as I got a review copy of the game, we didn't get the review copies until pretty much release day in the UK. Which is um, a little bit of a red flag, because not giving review copies out before release day sometimes suggests that there could be something wrong there, but we'll see. I've played some games, and I'll give you some thoughts in a minute of my first impressions, but yeah, uh, I'm going to have to rush that one out, I think. But then on top of that, I've also got to do After Us, you know, After Us, the uh, the hotness that was at the UK Games Bar. I need to do Books of Time from Board and Dice. That's uh, another sort of major one to do. Uh, Walking in Burano, Roll and Bright. I forgot about that. That needs a, a separate review as well. And obviously, I want to get back to top 10s. I want to get people like Sam Healy in that on the channel. I want to do my top 10 Roll and Rights. It's, oh my God, there's a lot. And, you know, I'm just going to have to churn on and do it. I mean, it just means that you'll have to wait for some content to come out. I will get through them as quick as I can. That's why the quick draw reviews were put in place, so that I could do quicker reviews and get those contents out. Be, I mean, Marvel Dagger, I think, will be a full review. I'll do a full review for Marvel Dagger, because it's a bigger game, and I think there's more to talk about. But pretty much everything else I mentioned on that list, Books of Time, After Us, Tawanaku... I think all of those could be covered in a quick draw review, because none of them are particularly big games... Uh, yeah, I think Marvel Dagger is probably the only one that needs a full review because that's a big sort of two to three hour, you know, big co-op game. There's more to talk about with that one. The rest don't necessarily need it. But yeah, suffice to say, I'm going to be pretty busy for the next couple of months. So hopefully you're enjoying the content and, you know, by all means, share it out on social media, put the word out. You know, the the views for these are not as high as they could be. I mean, bear in mind, a lot of these have been out for you know weeks now and they're barely clipping a thousand views. 
Uh, but, you know, there's been some, you know, decent ones. I mean, Planet Unknown has done reasonably well. Uh, you know, Mindbug was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Isle of Trains is getting some traction, but I would like that to get a bit more. I'm actually kind of surprised that's not getting more traction, but, you know, time will tell. Maybe it's early days. At least the engagement's there. There's a lot of likes. There's obviously the two trolls on every video who just dislike everything I do. Although what I did find quite funny, and this is always the case, I knew this was going to happen. My crowd surfing June episode, right? 87.9% like to dislike ratio, which is still good. I mean, I ideally want to keep all of these in the 90s. You can pretty much never have 100% because there will always be at least one troll who dislikes your video just because you exist. And to be fair, I have several trolls who do that to me on every video, which is why these are all in the 90s. But the crowd surfing episodes tend to get lower, and this one has 17 dislikes, and that is solely because 17 people can't take the fact that I gave inventions from Vital Lacerda a bit of criticism. Yes, I have played the game, first impressions only, not a review, and I've given my first impressions on that crowd surfing episode. So if you want to know my thoughts on the new inventions game from Lacerda, then by all means check out that episode. I will tell you that there are some pros, and there are also some cons. And people, I think, are going a little bit too much ape over this game, you know, hyping it up a little bit too much, and I'm just trying to bring it back down a bit. But of course, you try telling another sort of fanboy that, because 17 of them want to dislike the video for that very purpose. But, ha, whatever, 123-odd people aren't uh, like you, so that won't be a problem. But yeah, check out some of this content, and hopefully you'll enjoy. All right. Okay, let's move on to the uh, what I've played. Let's do some quick first impressions. So, Marvel Dagger. Now I'm going to take a swig of drink first. <clears throat> Moisten the throat a little bit. So, Marvel Dagger. This is a new game from Fantasy Flight. We've literally just been sent review copies, and I literally mean just. Like, I got it on Friday, I think. And I only got a chance to play it over this weekend. I mean, I crammed in a good two free solo games yesterday and I you know I'm taking a break today from it because I got to do a lot of content but um, I'm hoping to play it multiplayer at the early days of this week certainly tomorrow and Tuesday Wednesday and as a result that means I should be able to give it a good review by the end of the week but yeah we've only just got it and it's already been released this week so it seems a little bit of an annoyance that we've got to sort of cram this one out but it definitely does need a review for a few reasons so what is Marvel Dagger? Well, Marvel Dagger is a co-op world-sprawling game for one to five players, which people have compared as Marvel Horror, because it bears a lot of resemblance to a game they've already done called Eldritch Horror. Eldritch Horror had you going around the world as a co-op, beating a big bad. You, you went to encounters, you found little bits of story, you controlled different characters, you did skill checks to investigate areas or fight enemies... This bears a lot of those hallmarks, but I think it's unfair to call them exactly the same. This one does have enough differences to set it apart. Now, you do have, you know, a lot of world spanning, and you do co-op to beat enemies and defy missions and stuff, but there's a few little differences. Firstly, the variety in this game with characters is off the chain. There are 10 hero variants, you know, and there's 20 in total heroes to choose from because basically um, whichever hero you pick there's essentially two variants of it so this Black Widow here you can have Black Widow Romanoff or you can have a, a, a Yelena uh, Lelena Lelena I think that's how it's pronounced in the uh, film so they're both Black Widow 
but it's two different characters with two different sets of skills and two different stat lines. So they are very different characters, but you can't have both of them in the same game because it's on the same double-sided sheet. Uh, Daredevil is paired up with Elektra, and, you know, uh, Hulk is paired up with She-Hulk, and Iron Man is paired up with War Machine, that kind of thing. So you've got ten different sheets with 20 different variants of heroes. On top of that, you've got six different aspects to pick from, which has been airlifted so straight out of Marvel Champions, it's unreal, to the point where the colors are still the same, but you can customize the hero just that little bit more. So there's definitely a lot more character variety in this, but the premise is still very similar. There's the world map, you move your uh, standee pieces across the map to do missions in various places, to beat up enemies in certain locations. All the while, the big bad, in this case, I believe it's Loki, is wandering around the board and enemies are spawning in order to take out your bases. You've got like Atlantis, you've got Wakanda, and a few uh, New York and a few other places, and they're trying to overrun those bases while you're trying to fend them off and obviously get the missions done and eventually do a final showdown with the boss in which place you kick his ass now you know there's dice checks for certain skills like fighting that that's certainly a thing but there are some differences you know firstly there are no encounters this doesn't have story-based encounters it just has an event deck which is basically the mythos deck this one also spawns side missions the other one doesn't tend to have side missions this one does and the side missions can come from the game or it can come from your individual characters individual characters have their own hero missions which can only be undertaken one at a time so you as a group have to decide which one's being done but when it's done you get a cool upgrade for that character. And these upgrades are pretty sick. So it's definitely worth getting them done, but have fun fighting over who's going to get theirs first. Uh, you know, the rules aren't too complicated, although the rule book is not laid out in the best of fashion. It's got a very... I almost feel like they've been to Portal games over the layout of their books, although Fantasy Flight rule books were never perfect to begin with. But they sort of... They put key rules at the back end and don't explain them at the front, and it's just a little bit of, of weirdness on that front. And there's not enough good reference aids. There's not even a reference aid on the back of the rulebook for key rules. There's two little reference cards, and they're not very good. So, you know, getting the rules down takes a little bit of a while with this. But, you know, they're not too complicated if you've actually seen this sort of game before. I mean, it's definitely simpler than Eldritch Horror, I think, overall to get played. But you've also got a fret tracker, which is kind of like a timer for the game. Each mission has a fret tracker as to whether the mission will fail or not, and like an ultimate lose. And then there's also a team-up track. You have abilities on your characters and various other things you can do which level up this team-up track, and you can spend that as a group on various team-up abilities, which are ultra-powerful abilities that you exhaust for various characters. And, you know, they can be pretty sick in terms of power level. The game itself is quite fun. I do enjoy it, but there's definitely a, f you know, I, I enjoy playing it. Solo is basically the same as two player, and two player is just control two heroes, so they are identical in how they play. But controlling two heroes is not difficult. You don't have a hand of cards or anything. You have aspect tokens that you put on your sheet to do the various actions, so you can't do the same action four times in a row, but you've also got the ability to boost the actions with certain tokens to make it more powerful, and the you know the boss will have its own rules its own minions etc etc but you know the game is good fun there's a good amount of teamwork you can do between the heroes and it's definitely got the theme for marvel even though i question how on earth you could possibly get black widow and daredevil facing up against thanos i don't see how that's going to work uh loki's a good introductory 
a, a villain to go up against. You know, he can be tricky in places, but for the most part, you should be able to take him down. Uh, certainly with the pairing I had, I had War Machine and Spider-Man, which is a sickness combination. You know, you want easy mode, War Machine aggression, Spider-Man justice, pair the two up, go against Loki. You will obliterate him with War Machine's destructive power. It is kind of ridiculous when paired with Spider-Man's, uh, you know, like, basically auto-priming mechanic. Uh, basically, you can empower your heroes or you can prime enemies and basically you can discard the tokens to do various cool stuff. So, you know, there's some good planning that can be done and the heroes do feel very different. But there are a couple of elephants in the room. First, I've already mentioned the rulebook, not being perfect, but the main elephant in the room is the component quality. The component quality in this is pretty standard. You know, it's not bad, but I wouldn't say it was great either. I mean, these cardboard sheets, these paper sheets are not, well, no, these card sheets are not particularly thick. The cards themselves, you may want to sleeve them because they're a little bit on the flimsy side. The dice are pretty generic. The tokens are pretty generic. Uh, I'm glad they use standees rather than miniatures, so at least you got some artwork. But again, they're nothing fancy. Probably the most fancy thing in this game is the bases that the characters sit on. And even then, that's whatever. It's just to differentiate the colors. Colorblind people beware, you're going to be in trouble. But the price tag for this game is ridiculous. This game retails for something like £75 plus on online stores. The RRP is somewhere in the £80-£90 mark. That is ridiculous for a game like this, and you know why it's that expensive? Because Disney. Marvel. The license fee for this game must be astronomical to use this license with all the characters, particularly as it's using the likeness for characters that are in the recent MCU. I mean, Sam Wilson is one of the characters you can play here, as well as, um, what's it called, Spectrum, or whatever her name is, uh, from, yeah, the, uh, the, was it, the, oh, what was it called, WandaVision and stuff like that, so... And the upcoming Marvels movie. So there's a lot of recent heroes that are being used. So I can imagine the licensee is probably quite high for this. And you know that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the license. Not for the components in here. So regardless of whether I consider this game to be a recommended one by the time I do the review. I think there's going to be a hard justification for that price tag. But we'll have to see. So, so far, first impressions from a solo perspective are good. But I need to try it multiplayer to see how long the game takes with multiplayer and whether it's worth playing it at multiplayer. You know, we shall see soon. Oh, I can feel the throat already wanting to go. All right, well, let's go on to some news. Let's go on some news, 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 news. So first up, very quickly, we've had a little bit of a, a message from Spiel. Uh, Essen Spiel 2023. This is for the upcoming convention in October, which I will be going to. I've just got to debate whether I'm going to get a place to myself outside of the city and drive in each day for cheaper or whether I'm going to take the risk and share with someone at the uh, Premier Inn in the city centre which is a bit more convenient location-wise because even though there's limited parking I can still go there and drive in a very quick measure to the convention but whether I want to pay that little bit extra but also whether I want to share with anybody because sharing with people in hotel rooms is problematic for me because I always worry about personal hygiene of the person I'm you know sharing with you know I'm always worried about catching a cold or catching something but also the problem is is that I am not a when I go to sleep you will not wake me up getting to sleep is the hard part I don't drift off to sleep very easily I just can't shut my brain off the last thing I need is somebody snoring or making noise and if I sleep, if I share a room with a snorer it's hell 
and Essen is not one of those places where you want to skimp out on sleep. So I'm in an R in it at the moment, but we shall see. I'll probably opt for sharing a room because of the convenience factor, because it was quite convenient when I did it with Paul last year. But man, it's uh, it's a bit, you know, it's it's certainly a little bit problematic in that respect. I've got to make a decision on that. But anyway, on to the point. Uh, the, they basically mentioned that they are reorganizing a lot of the way they do their halls this year. So this, they've got an updated logo, which literally, I think, just improves removing a couple of bits of text and tilting the logo. Wow. I mean, seriously, that's not exactly what I would call, uh, you know, a fancy... I wouldn't necessarily call that, a, like, a fancy way of doing a logo. But basically what they're doing with the halls is they're going to reorganize it so that games are kind of more grouped by their type rather than the way they've been done before. So they, they want like a, this we go, the new hall design envisages that all halls will have thematic focuses and that the booths in the halls will present mainly the corresponding games. There could be a large area for simple to upscale family games, children's games, light to medium, heavy to expert, miniatures, role-playing games, trading card games. Now, okay, on the one hand, I can see that being handy if they do, because then I can just avoid all the children's games, go away from the RPG lot, not go near the trading card games, you know, and on all that lot. The problem is, I just don't know how they're going to organize it like that, because some publishers will do all sorts of types of games. So how are you going to sort of, you know, take a publisher who does a mix of light games to expert games and suddenly put them in a category? And, you know, that means that some publishers are going to be way outside of somewhere like Hall 3, where they used to be, and probably prefer to be, and they're going to be in some hall somewhere else, because Hall 3 is the big hall, Hall 3 and Hall 1. They're the two halls you enter first when you enter the premises, unless you come from the back end. So, to be moved out of that hall is probably going to irk some publishers, but... You know, how are they going to categorize this? I don't know. But I do welcome that change because the publishers are scattered around like willy-nilly basically in the past. And so trying to find your way around the convention revolves you really studying the map. And it could be just completely random. I mean, I want to go to Artipia and they're in Hall 1. I want to go to Days of Wonder and they're in Hall 3. I want to go to, you know, Ares Games or something. They're in Hall 3. Okay, fine. I want to go to, uh, you know, delicious games to get the next game from them they're in hall five and it just involves you walking back and forth a lot if i can just have all my games that i'm interested in consolidated into like two free areas it'll be a lot easier to get to them but then what worries me with that is that the crowds are going to be insane because obviously more people are there to see those expert and hobby games than they are say children's games so the children's games will barely have anyone around them except for i suppose the kids but then the other areas are going to be absolutely jam-packed. So this does, it. on the one hand, I've got some indication that I would like it to be set up like that, but I think practical reasons are going to make this a bit of a problem. So we'll see what this does. I'll be there, but uh, fingers crossed. Main thing is, though, could you please stop us wearing masks? I will not survive with my throat if I have to talk highly through a mask again. That was horrendous. I hated doing that. We are long past COVID. Can we please stop wearing masks at Essen Convention, please? Just take away those, because they have not confirmed on this yet, and they better do so soon. All right. As for whether I'm going to help out with any publishers at Essen, I probably will, but probably just for a day. And even then, depends on the publisher, depends on the game. So we shall see. 
<clears throat> Okie dokie. So next bit of news very quick. Uh, this is old news for some, but uh, I'm still going to mention it anyway. Remember the sort of lawsuits that have been happening recently? I mean, Upper Deck was suing um, Ravensburger for the uh, Lorcana card game. Well, now Renegade Games wants to jump in on this bandwagon. Except their reasoning is flawed, to say the least, if I'm perfectly honest here. Renegade Games has sent a cease and desist to a small creator using the word Renegade. So they've done, you know, to... Where's the hell? Here we go. So, the Polyhedral Knights had a recent Kickstarter for a game called Renegade City, which is billed as a tabletop RPG game, where you play criminals and use dominoes rather than dice. According to Cannibal... Oh, sorry. Yeah, a couple of days ago, the Polyhedral Knights received a letter from Renegade Game Studios' lawyers demanding they remove the word Renegade from the title of their game. And I kid you not, this is what it says, right? This is what it says, quoted from the page. Unfortunately, your use of the term Renegade in the title of your new game creates the likelihood that consumers might be confused between our clients' games and your game, or believe that the two are connected or affiliated. The likelihood of confusion is particularly acute because you're using the word Renegade element on the identical types of products that are sold on Renegade, and you are both selling to the same types of consumers in the same market channels. As such, Renegade must ask that you agree to rename your game to remove the Renegade element. As such, Renegade must ask that you agree to rename your game to remove the... Oh, okay, the, it's quoted twice on this page. Right, um, so uh, Mickey Barfield, the creator of Renegade City, uh, um, said this. It really caught me off guard and frankly upset me. I am blown away at how they think my game title, Renegade City, will take away from them in any shape or fashion. Our Kickstarter is about to end in nine hours, and now we just get this. Still pretty hurt. It seems as if they are willing to go after me over something like this, then what is stopping another company like Rizzles of the Coast, and let's face it, they've had some backlash lately, from going after some other company because the word wizard is used in the title of a book or game? It's crazy. And you know what? I agree with you. This is stupid. Renegade Games, you have already built up a decent amount of, uh, you know, uh, like a positivity lately because of bringing back things like Heroescape and stuff like that, and you do some cool games. Don't turn into Wizards of the Coast. Don't turn into like the video game, the board game equivalent of Activision Blizzard. Don't self-destruct like this with stupid things like with this. Because for crying out loud, we are not going to get confused over your games and some RPG done by a small company on Kickstarter that just happens to use the word Renegade. Your name is not copyrighted, okay? You can't copyright mechanics very easily. You also can't copyright the word Renegade. You know, if they called it Renegade Games, fine. And if they use the same font as you do and stuff like that. But it's clearly different font. It's an RPG. It is not a board game. As far as I'm aware, I don't know what RPGs you do, Renegade Games Studios. But I only buy your board games. I don't buy your RPGs. And for crying out loud, it's not going to confuse us. We are not thick. Alright, we can tell the difference between an RPG and your board games, particularly when on the product there is a publisher logo that tells it it's not Renegade Games, okay? That is the point of logos, you morons. You know, we can see that this is clearly uh, polyhedral, was it polyhedral knights, okay? We can tell it's not Renegade Game Studios. We're not going to get them confused. Stop this nonsense, retract your cease and desist notice, and let these people get on with their Kickstarter 
culture and their lives. This is just an example of big corporations bullying small creators because the small creators don't have the money or the loyal, uh, loyal, the legal standing to be able to fight a lot of these things. Because I would happily take this sort of thing to court from a legal standpoint, but it would cost an absolute fortune and it would just pretty much wipe me out if I was a small creator. So I don't have the, you know, they don't have the power to be able to fight this easily. And it's not exactly popular with gamers. Do you honestly think that this is going to make you popular with the game with board gamers? Because board gamers right now are laughing at you at this point. I've seen this reported on other channels, and they're saying the same things as me. They're saying that this is stupid, pointless, and you need to stop. Because all you're doing is basically setting a self-destruct timer on your company. Wizards of the Coast have already been doing this lately. They're practically self-destructing themselves. You do not want to do this to yourselves, all right? Stop this, stop being idiots, grow, grow a brain cell, and just let them get on. We're not going to get confused. We're not that stupid, okay? People are dumb and stupid, yes. We're not that dumb and stupid, okay? So, come on. <sighs> I don't know. All right. So, let's talk about the uh, topic of the day. You know, that will be a feature there soon, but... On recent videos, and certainly to be fair on videos in general, I get a lot of shtick from people, both positive and negative, uh, where they, although mostly negative, the ones who talk about it in a positive fashion just happily want to debate it, which is fine, but the ones who tend to troll me or say negative comments are usually because I'm criticizing their favorite game, in which case suddenly I'm the antichrist as a result of doing that, but I talk about this concept of multiplayer solitaire and length of games, and how ha just because you can have a lot of players doesn't mean you should. The biggest example of this I can think of lately was Planet Unknown. This was a review I did recently where I mentioned that the game is good. I gave it an 8 out of 10, but I only gave it an 8 out of 10 because I mostly would play it solo. And even then, to be honest, I've actually sold the games, I've actually got rid of the game since, because... The game is decent, but I just don't think I'm going to play it very often solo, and I don't want to play it multiplayer that often. So I figured, you know what, I'll let someone else have it, and then I can just play their copy, you know, much better. But the the issue with this game is that it can go from one to six players, because technically you have simultaneous turns. But people seem to mistake the idea that simultaneous means everything at the same time, which technically that's the dictionary definition of what simultaneous means. But it doesn't work that way in reality. It doesn't work that way in a board game. If you have three machine cogs turning simultaneously, that is easy to be simultaneous. That is simultaneous because you can set it like that. One isn't necessarily going slower than the other. In a board game, though, you are dealing with human beings. Human beings don't do anything simultaneous. Even synchronized swimmers are not perfectly in sync, okay? So... When you have a lot of players in these sort of games, you are still only as slow, oh sorry, only as fast as your lowest common denominator. So if you have a slow player in your group, which is going to increase chances of that with having more players, you will only go as fast as that player, not everybody else. It doesn't matter that three of us have finished our turns early, because if the other three haven't, we're waiting for them. Ah, quick drink. And... 
And so people do get on my case with the idea that they don't mind if it's multiplayer solitaire. They don't mind if it's that because they just want people at the table. That's fine. I can't really dispute that argument. You know, if you are more concerned about just the fact that you've got five of your buddies at the table and you want to play a six-player game, fine. But then there are other ways to do it. I mean, there are party games. There are games that I will talk about soon which are better with six players, for example. But I... When I talk about this whole thing of multiplayer solitaire, it's not the fact that I hate multiplayer solitaire games. Because I've got plenty of multiplayer solitaire games. I mean, there are loads of big Euros that could be multiplayer solitaire. There's a bunch of games that can be like that. And that's fine. I still enjoy and like those games. But that depends on, A, whether the mechanics are so fun that I don't care. But also, whether the game length isn't affected too negatively by the fact that there is multiplayer solitaire. And even then, in a lot of those multiplayer solitaire games, I won't max out the player count for that reason. But Planet Unknown is a game that you should be able to get done in about 45 minutes, 60 tops, if you're playing by yourself. Uh, yeah, we're probably talking about 45 minutes, yeah, if you're playing a solo game. But when you play with more players in Planet Unknown, you start heading towards the 90-minute mark plus, and that's too long for a game like this. It's not a complicated polyomino game, and... You know, the added problem with Planet Unknown is that when you add more players, you add more randomness because the, t the choosing of the tile is done by that lazy Susan. And that means with six players, you pick one tile out of six turns for yourself. The rest of them are totally random. You might as well just have me draw out of a bag and take a tile rather than have five other people slowing me down. It's, it doesn't work with a game like this. So what games does it work? Well, and, and that's what I mean. If you're going to have more players in the game, there needs to be a reason for the players to be there. Not just simply because they're your buddies and you like them, okay? Because you can have buddies that you like, but you can play a game that deserves six players. Like Cosmic Encounter, for example. Deserves six players and a uh, game... Well, actually, we'll, we'll bring up another one, actually. Uh, Sidereal Confluence. Um, a few of us mates uh, play that one. And, you know... Uh, I don't know if I'll even be able to spell it right, but this one, you know, is a negotiation game. You know, you are actively debating with other players and trading with them. Therefore, something like this is perfect with more players because you're actively engaged with them. And even though the game will go on longer, you are still involved with those players. Uh, another good example that I keep referring to is New Angeles. Uh, New Angles? What on earth is that? New Angeles is a negotiation game. And I always say I want the full count of six. I'm always touting the praises of this negotiation game in the Netrunner universe. But six players is a great number to have. And you are involved. You are constantly involved with those players. Now, of course, you're probably thinking negotiation games. That's kind of a cheat. All right. Well, how about this then? Uh, how about uh, do, 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 hegemony? Hegemony. I have been raving the praises of this one, haven't I? This big euro from... You know, hegemonic games uh, from, you know, mostly new designers, but, you know, one famous name. And I've been saying that this is like a fantastic heavy Euro that's got a mix of like some perfect sense of player interaction. And this one does. The player interaction in this game is off the charts because you are always involved with what other people are doing. You know, you're playing one of four different social political classes, capitalist, working class and such, and your actions will directly influence what 
others are doing. So if you're the working class and you're trying to get the wages low, that's going to affect the capitalist and sort of the middle class. The state is overseeing all free people and needs to keep them all in balance. The middle class is buying from the capitalists in various other places but are trying to be self-sufficient, but they obviously can't let the working class nick all the jobs. The capitalist wants to make all the profits. So they want the wages high, which is going to tick off the working class. They also want taxes low, which is going to tick off the state. So everything you do in hegemony links to other players. It has some similarities to feudum with their guilds in that respect. And that means that this game is long, very long. But just because the game is long doesn't mean I don't like the game. Certainly I prefer games to be shorter, but if it's going to be long, justify its length. This one justifies its length because of the involvement and the heavy interaction within. You know, you can play it with less players, but it doesn't work as well with less players. Although you can play it solo. All right, uh, what else do we have? Um, recently, I did Isle of Trains. So, uh, spoiler alert, it's got a good review, but by all means, check out the video. And uh, which certainly pleased um, had the <laughs> certainly pleased Aiden from Drander Games because uh, you know, giving me a game with trains in the title is usually a recipe for disaster. But, uh, you know, at least he was pleased that I didn't give it a negative review. But... You know, so check out that video for more details. But one thing I mentioned is that the interaction in this game is good. And you might think, well, hang on, an engine builder? Why is this interactive in any way, shape, or form? It's interactive because of the trains you're building. Now, let's see if I can find a good example, because there wasn't many here. All right, here we go. This picture is good. So these trains you build in front of you have got special abilities at the top of the cards where if you load stuff onto your own trains you just load it onto your trains and it's all well and good but if you load it onto someone else's train including the passengers you get the benefit at the top of the card but you're giving that player something to work with this is good interaction in games because now i'm thinking right well yes the game will take a bit longer if i have more players but here the turns are snappy they're very quick actions the turns don't take very long but on top of that i care about having players at the table because there's then more choices for where to load on other people's trains you know you can sort of go well you know what i'll give you a little bit of this i'll give you a little bit of this maybe you one of these so i'm spreading the love but i'm getting cool stuff in return although i do need to deliver my own stuff at some point you know, that kind of thing is a really cool, positive sense of player interaction. I am not trying to destroy your train here. It's not negative. I might beat you to a contract. I might put a passenger down on a space you wanted. But other than that, that's normal in Euro games. But this is a good example of where interaction can occur in a game. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, completely direct interaction. But you can just put in little things like this to make it more you know, more meaningful that I put other players in this game, even though you can, again, play it solo. Uh, now, why don't we talk about a couple of games that don't fit this mark, that are totally multiplayer solitaire? Well, <clears throat> I got a similar shtick for Revive. You know, the big Euro that I did a video review for recently, I gave it a decent enough score, but I do mention that this game is basically 95% multiplayer solitaire. And, you know, and I've had a few people come back and try and justify that there is a ton of interaction in this game. I'm pretty sure those people are from Mars, because there is no way you can justify that this game has a lot of player interaction. I mean, this whole thing on your player board is entirely you. Nobody influences that whatsoever. That is all you. So all you have left is the map. And the map is literally... I'll tell you what, this is the interaction in the game. You cannot build a building on the same space as someone else fine that's just standard 
And if you go and build a meeple on a particular city space, if you go to where someone else is, you pay an extra book to that person. That's it. That's the interaction. My cards do not affect you in any way. My tiles do not affect you in any way. My, the tiles that get explored will barely affect you in any way. So literally, the only interaction is that. And most of the time on this map, you're not even in each other's faces, because in a two-player game, you'll just go somewhere else, you know, you'll just go in opposite directions. And even in a four-player game, a lot of the times, you just end up going your own direction, and maybe two people will be in each other's throats, but it's not a massive deal. You know, it's the same bare-bones level of interaction you would get in any other Euro, and yet when you add more players to revive, you add a lot of Time. This game takes two and a half to three hours when you're playing this with four players, and the downtime is excruciating. So I don't want to play this with four players. I want to cap it at three, preferably play it at one or two. And so the idea that this, I mean, I can't remember if the expansion is daring to add a fifth player. I hope to Jesus Christ they don't, because that would just be the most moronic thing ever to put a fifth player in this game. But this is an example multiplayer solitaire and where it doesn't work, because it just adds way too much length to the game. You know, you can play a, I mean, Caverner, um, behind my head, is not the most interactive game ever. I mean, it's worker placement spots, although I, at least in Caverner, do care where people are going on the worker placement spots, because you can kind of guess that somebody's going to go to a spot you might want, and it's more critical that you keep an eye on them and see where they're likely to go. Here, though, I couldn't care less. I literally do not care what any other player is doing. You happen to build in my way? What the hell? I'll just go a different route. You know, it's still good at the end of the day. So, you know, I literally just do not pay attention to any other player in this. And it doesn't matter, and I still win the game. In Caverner, if you don't pay attention to the other players entirely, then you could get screwed out of a few worker placement spots. I mean, if you've got a rival who's doing a lot of adventuring as well, that could cause problems for you if you're planning to adventure. And... You know, how you justify this as an interactive game is beyond me, beyond my comprehension. Uh, but then, here's another one. After Us. This is going to get a review from me soon, and uh, I won't spoil as to whether I'll give it a positive or negative review. But one con I will mention is that this is another game that says one to six players. And why? I have played this at the various player counts, not six um because i refuse wholeheartedly to play this at six after trying it with five you know there is no reason to have other players in this pretty much at all you know beyond two you know and even then that's pushing it the problem is is that the solo mode in this game was not very well thought out because the solo mode is literally a rule sheet in addition to the rule book which clearly means that the, the solo mode was an afterthought and wasn't considered at the time of making the game so the solo mode is not only a very time-consuming fiddly AI to run, but it's also downright impossible. Like, the point rate at which the AI scores points in this solo mode is insane. Like, you will have to be doing phenomenally well to be able to keep up. And even then, that's not a guarantee you'll win. It's just too hard. Now, multiplayer, this is supposedly, oh, it's simultaneous turns. Yes, phase one is simultaneous, where you take four cards in your deck with the apes, and you put them in order so that uh, was a there you go yeah so you put them in order so that you get these frames to seal off 
and the ones that you seal off uh, get you the various bonuses like turn x into y or get resources i mean it's a straight up engine builder at the end of the day and the idea being everybody's doing this and then you can buy stronger cards the rules are pretty straightforward in this game but that four card thing can lead to a lot of ap from some players so if i've got six players and any of them are slow or not very good at comprehending where to put these cards this game's gonna drag and it is gonna drag i mean this game should not be more than an hour with what the sort of repetition it is because it is a very rinse repeat style of game you know there is very little variety in what you're doing in the game it's just rinse repeat rinse repeat rinse repeat so if this game is dragging on beyond an hour it's outstayed its welcome easily and with five players Oh my god, I wanted to kill myself. It really did drag on like mad, you know, just with having to wait for other players. Now, I have an advantage with games like this because I'm pretty good at games like this from a organization point of view. Like, I can look at these four cards and instantly, within about 15 seconds, go, yeah, duh, 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 right, cool, that's a good one, I'm sticking with it. I'm not overthinking whether I could slip one into their different position to maybe get a different resource. You know, I'm going... That's online with what I'm trying to do. That works. Cool. Let's run with it. Everybody else isn't thinking quite as fast as that, though. And so, you know, the game is dragging as a result. But the interaction in this game is near non-existent. You flip a little token um, in the round when you're buying, uh, like, different cards. So this sort of token that's face down on the board. You'll, sim you'll simultaneously flip one of those tokens over, and it will give you a tiny little bonus... And it will tell you which one of the four um, ape cards that you can buy. Okay? That's it. So you flip the token over. And if you want to, you can spend two resources to copy the bonus off a neighbor's tile. That's it. That is literally the only interaction this game has. Paying two resources to copy the bonus off another tile. That's it. Nothing else. So you're telling me that you're going to justify putting six players in a game like this where that is your bare-bones level of interaction. Why would I bother? You know, playing with three players, I was thinking, yeah, I just, apart from the two neighbor tiles, you two being here makes no difference to what I'm doing with my cards. You know, nothing you do affects another player. So why would I bother to put six in this game and do nothing but drag it out for longer? doesn't make any sense you know this is where i get on games cases for being multiplayer solitaire when they try to go too far with this whole oh we can fit loads of players in the game because it's simultaneous it's not simultaneous it's not true simultaneous and even then it's still just pointless to add the more players in there are better ways to do it you know for example mission red planet I will gladly play this with a high player count because the first part of the game is truly simultaneous because you pretty much pick a character and all reveal at the same time and it doesn't take too long to pick a character. But on top of that, the game is not a very complex one. It's not a very long one and it's an area control game. So there is a lot of interaction with other players. Granted, some of it's mean interaction, but that's area control for you. But I care about what other players are doing I care about what characters they're going to play. I care about who's next to me on various planet sectors, because obviously I'm trying to control the sector and somebody's in my way. There's a lot of things that the other players are influencing. Therefore, having more players doesn't detract from the experience, even though it will add a little bit to the time length. But then the time length for Mission Red Planet doesn't go on that long anyway, so it's not that big a deal. 
you know, I mean, even if you play this with less players, it's still going to take roughly about the same amount of time. Like, the time addition with more players doesn't really go up much, you know, with it. Because there's not a huge amount you have to consider, and so there's not much case for AP proneness. But, you know, this one just works with this amount of players. Uh, another one, uh, let's see, what else have I got in here? Uh, two more games I want to mention before I wrap it up, because my throat is starting to go sore. Precognition. This is a game that only I've touted the praises of last year. A lot of other people have not gone so highly on it. And I grant it's a bit of a niche game, but I have a I have a soft spot for it. I enjoyed it. It's a card game where you're trying to rescue survivors off the planet, but the concept of the card mechanic is that you have these two selector cards in your hand. You draw from your deck, and the cards have got different bonuses on whether you can get two green cards, two blue cards, that kind of thing. But the idea is... Oh, sorry, I need to take a breath there. Um, the idea is, is that you play these cards down so that you are giving one to your left neighbor, you are getting one from your right neighbor, or sorry, you're passing one to your right neighbor for the future, and then you're playing two other cards. But because you have to play cards to and from different neighbors, you are caring what card you play to them. They are obviously thinking about what card they give to you. You are considering what card they're likely to give to you out of the two that you've offered them. And so... You know, there's a lot of decent interaction in this game. Like, I care about having three of us at the table. Don't care as much about having the fourth player, so I wouldn't necessarily play this with four players. But playing this with three is a great little card game. It's a great, you know, sense of interaction with those cards. This is a game done right with the sense that I care about having other players at the table. Definitely give this one a look and check out my video on it for more details. It's... An underrated title. This one isn't getting much love, and Dice Tower weren't too happy with it, but I consider uh, Tom wrong on this one. I think Recognition was a good, clever card game, trying something different. And uh, when games try something different, you'll get some people that like it and some people that don't. I respect this one. I, I give this one props. Still on my shelf behind me, you know, if you don't believe me. I mean, uh, there it is. You can see it down there, underneath uh, Ancient World. It's right there. If that's not proof, I don't know what it is. Uh, and then finally, Earth. Uh, Earth showed up earlier when I was uh, browsing through screens. Now, Earth isn't exactly a particularly interactive game, is it? I mean, yes, somebody does an action, and then you get to do a follow-up thing. But you can't easily tell what another player is going to do with their action, although you can have a reasonable guess if they're focusing on a particular ability. But still, you do have to consider that little aspect to them. It's technically simultaneous in the sense that when everybody's doing a turn, you're doing yours. But because everybody's got different comprehension skills for all these abilities, some are a lot slower than others. I seem to be pretty quick with these sort of things like triggering card abilities because I'm more used to these type of games. But trust me, I've seen people who just freeze up like crazy and I really hate playing this game with those people. But on top of that, you've got different numbers of abilities, different complexity levels of the abilities and, and like different size of cards like hand sizes you know somebody's got 12 cards to pick from the plan i've got two you know it makes a colossal difference so this one has a tiny bit of interaction in that sense but other than that i don't really overly care what you're doing on your tableau unless i'm scoring from a particular trail card a terrain card i'm doing my own thing i'm choosing the actions that benefit me for the most part and so that's kind of the way i'm rolling so I tend to want to play this solo more often, unless I'm playing it on Board Game Arena with a friend, in which case we play two players. But this can go up to five. Why would you? Yes, you can play it with five players, but this game can drag out with five players if you've got new people in there, and it's not something I'm keen on doing. You could convince me to play this with four 
if everyone knows what they're doing. But I played a four-player game of this at UK Games Expo, and it dragged. I was trying to get it to finish as quick as possible by rushing the end game because I'm like, come on, I've done my abilities. Can you get through yours now? And so, again, why would I add more players to Earth when the solo mode is so good? And you get the same kind of experience from a two-player game as you do a four-player game or a five-player game because it's not like adding more players adds more interaction. It's the same level of interaction. It's just more people are sitting at the table and the game length is bigger. So this is one of those games where despite the fact that I love the game and gave it a very high rating, check out my review for more details, this isn't one that I'm like, oh yeah, let's get five of us in here. No, I still have the caveat that I don't want to play this with too many players. So even games that I love can still have this multiplayer solitaire problem. And, you know, if you're going to justify the extra players, particularly if you dare to put that stupid fifth player in there, you're going to have to give me a better reason than this to warrant their inclusion. <clears throat> right. Frotisaur, I don't think I'll be doing much other recording today, but it uh, doesn't matter because i got to get this podcast edited and i got to get those two Keeple Cull episodes done. So with the Rich and the Good episode airing tomorrow, uh, the or maybe I'll air that on Tuesday because I think I've done enough reviews at the moment. Maybe I'll do podcast today, uh, the Keeple Cull episode tomorrow, then that review, and then by that point I'll have my throat back to do more reviews and get those out during the week, yes. Um, but I do need to save time to get a very quick Marvel Dagger review out. So what I would probably recommend to you people is that if you're worried about the price tag, this isn't a game that's going to sell out, all right? I can tell you that now. At that price, from Asmodee, Fantasy Flight, this will not sell out. Bide your time. Don't go out and buy it the instant it comes out. Wait until some reviews have come out. Wait till my review has come out. And then decide whether you want to justify that price tag. That is the biggest tip I can give you right now. I think if you buy it outright, all that cash, without thinking or doing your research, you could lead yourself to disappointment. Not saying the game is bad. I've enjoyed it. But for that money, you need to be really careful, okay? So that's what I'm going to say. But uh, yeah, that's it. I'm going to get on with editing this podcast and getting on with other stuff. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode. And certainly let me know your thoughts on the whole multiplayer solitaire thing and player interaction. What games do you consider to get that balance right of I can have a lot of players in but have you know, not take forever to play the game, but still have a good sense of interaction. You know, those sort of games are ones that I can get behind. And so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. But other than that, check out some of the reviews I've done lately. Let's get the views up on some of those recent quick draw reviews. And of course, the ones that I've mentioned in this video, like uh, Earth, Hegemony, Isle of Trains, you know, go check out those reviews and find out more thoughts on those. And of course, look forward to my Marvel Dagger review when I get round to doing that. So that's it for me on this episode of The Broken Meeple. If you like what you see, please remember to thumb it up on YouTube and share it out on social media. Get your comments down below, as I've said. Check out the storefront to see if there's any merchandise you want to buy. I will make a change to the merchandise stuff at some point soon because somebody has requested that I put the text logo on a t-shirt, which I don't think I've done yet. Now, the text logo is white, which means that there's not going to be a lot of variance for color choice. But I will get round to doing that soon, so hopefully you'll see that eventually. Uh, but other than that, you know, hope I'll see you guys soon. So uh, take care, and remember as always, it's only a game. Bye for now, everyone. Love you all.